Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-366 of the Run Run Live podcast, back on our our fortnightly cadence, 366 podcasts. If you're new to the show, that means you could listen to one of the old shows every day for a year, even a leap year, to catch up. And assuming I haven't thrown in the towel, you will still be 25 episodes behind. It is in our nature as endurance athletes to just keep moving forward. I do believe there is some innate value in that attribute of dogged persistence. Dogged persistence. What do you think? Are people too quick to pivot in these silicon days? Silicon days. Kind of sounds like halcyon days. Do you know what that means? You may have heard that phrase, right? Halcyon days used by people whose parents spent too much on a liberal arts degree, as referring to a happier time in the past. It really means more of a calm time. It means a time where the winds don't blow. It's from Greek mythology, ten words or less. Ready? Alcyon was turned into a seabird. Aeolus becalmed the waves for seven days each year so she could make her nest. Okay, that was 21 words and a number. But Silicon Days also makes me think of irony. Many classic science fiction stories are about human beings devastated by a silicon-based life form. From where I'm sitting, we may have manifested this already, right? Enough rhyming games. What about endurance sports do we have to share today? Today, we talked to Nick about his new enterprise, Impact Marathons. He Skype-called me from Greece where he was staying with his uncle Nick, his cousins, Nick, Nick, and Nicky. Sorry, couldn't resist. Nick has an interesting story. He ditched a lucrative banking career at an early age and now sets up these experiential, socially impactful marathons in remote and beautiful places. And I wanted to dive into why someone would do that. Why would you give away all your stuff, live out of a couple duffel bags, and lead this nomadic lifestyle in pursuit of a a big dream. Sounds fulfilling, romantic, and terrifying all at the same time. 
In section one, I'll address a question people have asked me about what to do when your next training cycle isn't going to start for a couple weeks or months. And in section two, I'll talk about anxiety. So speaking of the old shows, I've gone back in time and downloaded a few to listen to. Those first 80 or so shows are pretty rough. I was on a schedule of pushing out a show a week and keeping it under an hour, and the early audio in those shows is pretty poor. I was using a, a cheap USB mic. That being said, there was a certain amount of hopefulness and creativity to them that is fun to listen to, and I'm going to start editing up some of them and curating them into the members' feed. I know when I subscribe to a new podcast and see there are 300 shows, I don't go back to the beginning. I may cherry-pick a topic. I'm, I'm going to do some cherry-picking of my own from the archives for my members. So, members, I truly appreciate your support. This has never been a commercial endeavor for me. It's a passion project. My favorite thing is when I get a membership notice from someone I've never interacted with before, and they say something like, I've been listening for years, and you've really helped me with my running and my life. And that keeps me moving forward, even when the days are not so halcyon. Teresa and I did end up driving down to Connecticut for that trail race uh, a couple weeks ago, and I've got my notes down, but I haven't had time to write them up. I will. I'll probably push it out as a separate piece because those race reports tend to go pretty long. Summary is, we had a good day. She ran the 20K like a champ, and I ran the 50K like a stubborn old guy. Felt fine, no issues, my engine is good, my legs are good, I'm just a little bit at loose ends with nothing to train for right now. So I finished reading a book called Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez. He is a director, a director of films. He made one of my favorite movies, Desperado, with Antonio Banderas. And it's a really good story, this book. It's his journals from when he made his first movie, El Mariachi, for $7,000. <laughs> and he did it with no crew. And it ended up making him the toast of Hollywood. And the basic story is that as a kid, all he ever wanted to do was make movies. So he just made movies with his brothers and sisters and act as the actors in a videotape machine or two. And he didn't get good enough grades to get into film school because... He spent all his time making movies, and he didn't have any money, so he went into one of those research hospitals to make $3,000 as a clinical trial lab rat, and he used that money and figured out how to make a feature-length movie as an experiment in Mexico for the Spanish video market, and that was El Mariachi, Mariachi. And his plan was to make all his mistakes on this movie, sell it to the video distributors for a small profit, and make a series of these as he learned the trade, essentially throwaway movies. And then when he had enough experience, he would approach Hollywood and say, look at all my experience. So the long story short is El Mariachi got noticed in Hollywood, started a feeding frenzy that got him a deal at Columbia and one Sundance. So what's great about this story is several things. First, he worked very hard over many years to put himself in a position to succeed. It's a splendid example of grit that we talk about. And he also had that growth mindset going into this that he would just make a movie, learn what he could in the process, 
and not worry so much about failure. Just do it. Take action. Learn from the results. It's a classic Horatio Alger, rags to riches, very American in nature. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. So you're in between races. What do you do when you're rolling off one training cycle and it's not time yet to start the next training cycle? You want to stay fit, but you also need to recover. How do you keep the weight off and still stay within striking distance of your next goal? This is a challenge. This is a challenge that I personally have been confronted with in the endurance sports life. After a long, hard training cycle and potentially a long, hard culminating effort, you want some time off to decompress before you start training in earnest for your next big thing. But you don't want to totally fall off the wagon. You don't want to be starting from scratch. You don't want to put on 10 pounds and lose all the hard-won fitness. Overcoming inertia to successfully train for an event is fun, but at some point, you start to fall into the yo-yo diet syndrome. You're either pounding out tempo miles or eating Ben and Jerry's on the couch. Even if you have got an event scheduled, let's say in the fall, you may have three or four, six weeks before you have to start training in earnest. What do you do in the meantime to recover but still stay fresh? Well, first, recovery. Many times, coming out of a hard cycle, you will have some niggles and aches that you need to take care of. And these are due to the intensity and volume of a training cycle. Now is the time to let them get better. Going into your next cycle with aches and pains is a bad idea. You have to let stuff heal, or it'll go chronic. You're going to do this by lowering your intensity and lowering your volume and getting core and stretching done. This will not only let your poor old corpus heal, but it will make you stronger and more balanced as well. Second, soften it up. If you have been running roads or tracks, get off them and onto something softer. Trails or grass or whatever your locale offers up in terms of natural surfaces. This will help your aches and pains heal but also strengthen your feet and ankles. It will give you some useful proprioception work. Trails also, by necessity, they slow you down and they relax you. Third, every other day. Chances are if you're exiting a serious cycle, you are running every day or close to every day. In this intervening place, cut down to every other day. This creates a nice cadence. On the off days, do some structured core work, stretching or yoga. Or, number four, cross it up. Of course, your off days are great times to jump on your bike and get a cycle in. You can also do some swimming or take a class of some time. Depending on the length of your off time, you can even structure in some other training program and get fit in a different way. My caution would be to take it slow and easy in these new pursuits. Don't jump into the advanced class. You will bring in your aerobic fitness from your previous training cycle that may allow you to go harder than you should in a new exercise. You're using new muscle groups and can easily hurt yourself. You're in good shape, but for a specific activity and abruptly changing activities at high intensity can hurt. Number five, 
your next goal. Chances are you'll be dropping into training in a few weeks. So how do you position yourself to be successful in that training plan while still giving yourself the room to recover? This is one of those it depends answers. If your next goal is more distance related or speed related, it'll be different. If it's distance related, like an ultra or an Ironman, you're going to want to tweak your recovery plan in that direction. And likewise, if you're gunning to take 10 minutes off your marathon time in the fall, you might lean towards more speed-related recovery. So if you're going the distance, number six, if you're going the distance, you can never go wrong with aerobic fitness as a good base for any training campaign. To maintain or build aerobic fitness in your recovery, you slow it down, but you go a bit longer on your run days. For example, Tuesday and Thursday, go out for an hour and a half at zone two heart rate. Stretch yoga and core on Monday and Wednesday. Bike on Friday. Rest on Saturday. Go two hours or more on Sunday. That will give you three good aerobic runs in the week to get your base ready for your next campaign. But number seven, if it's speed you're looking for, you want to start building up or retain some speed, add in a couple two to three minute pickups into your runs at speed or tempo. You can do these as fartleks or set your watch to go off every X minutes. What I'll do, since I do all of my off-season training in the trails, is run hard up certain hills on my route or run hard down certain hills. And this brings my heart rate up and lets my legs remember what race effort feels like. So we affectionately call these surge runs. Surge. Of course, don't do any tempo or speed work unless you're fully recovered and injury-free. You're not trying to stress yourself. You're just trying to keep it fresh. You're just trying to remember. Number eight, to race or not to race. Well, if you're trying to recover, racing is going to put stress into that process. If you can curtail your effort level and run those races as training runs or recovery runs, then it may be okay. In general, a hard road 10K is going to run counter to your goal of recovery and build. But a casual 20K in the woods might be a fun outing to build fitness. What about the long runs, number nine? For maintenance long runs, I'm assuming you just rolled off a training cycle so that you have the fitness to go a bit longer. What I will typically aim for is to go two hours, one of the weekend days, in the woods at a very low intensity. And for me, this nicely translates to somewhere between 10 and 15 miles. Long enough to put you past the glycogen wall, but not long enough to damage anything. And what you do... During the in-between training cycle time, you recover and you build for your next cycle. You do this by lowering the volume and intensity of your workouts. You do this by stretching and strengthening and cross-training and core. It's time off from the physical and mental stress and intensity of training for an event. Enjoy the time off. Enjoy it by doing what you love in moderation and trying out some new things as well to create a stronger and more vibrant athlete for the next season of your endurance life. And now for today's featured interview.
Good. All right. So, Nick, why don't you uh, give me the 200 words on who you are, what you're doing, and why we're talking here? I'm uh, Nick Kershaw. I am a CEO of a competition uh, called Impact Marathon Series. And this is a dream of mine that we've been doing for about 18 months now with the idea that we can bring runners from all over the world to amazing projects where they'll get involved, see exactly where the fundraising is going and, and create a link between them and the outcome of any fund they do for the race and on the final day we celebrate by having a trail race up in the hills and we have now races in nepal colombia malawi kenya and guatemala is our new race that we're about to launch yeah the nepal race looked amazing some of the scenery there Ah, oh, it's a fantastic place. It's just sort of um, about two hours north of Kathmandu where you start to get the 180-degree view of the Himalayas. And that's where we have uh, what we call the Athletes Village, which is like a pop-up campsite up in the hills. And uh, we then work in the community around there for two, three days before the race. And stunning racing through Shivapuri National Park with the Himalayas on the north side. It's a pretty special race. It was really cool. Right. So would it be fair to say it's not really about the race as much as it is the whole experience, the whole burrito of things you're doing there. People are doing the fundraising. They're then showing up and working in the local community, almost like mission work. Is that yeah. what my understanding is? That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. So what we have, we have the impact week before the race. And the impact week is where we're living in the athlete's village. We had about 120 people living in the village this year. And you're camping, waking up. You've got the morning yoga with the sun rising over the Himalayas or a training run. And then, yeah, we head out into the community. And that's the key part. Without that, it's just another travel marathon or even just a marathon. So right. for us, that moment where you really start to get to see the community. It all started, actually, when I came and ran the Athens Marathon the original one and i flew in on the saturday night at about five o'clock i landed here and five o'clock the next day after the race i was gone and i didn't really get the chance to experience greece understand greece a bit more uh, learn more about history so that was the idea is there's the one side of it which is the work and seeing where your fundraising is going and then it's the other side of actually getting to understand the country and get a feel for the place and then when you're running through it with the community that you've been working with all week it's so much more special and then the race itself is so tough yeah you're not going to get a personal best to just enjoy it enjoy it embrace it yeah so i think i i know what you're talking about because i have done a fair amount of travel in my business career as well when you go into a place and you come back and people say well how was it i really don't know i saw the inside of a hotel room the inside of a conference room and the inside of a rental car and you yeah, yeah. some city where you could have gone out and explored Right. Well, actually, I was within the Crown Plaza in Athens yesterday, and they now have a big running jogging stand in the foyer. So you go there, and it's got three different routes that you can do to see the sights of Athens. It gives you water and a towel. And um, right in the foyer of the Crown Plaza, I thought it was amazing. But yeah, absolutely right. There's, and that's one of the reasons we use a campsite rather than hotel room as well. Because when you have a hotel room, you still have that little cocoon of comfort. And we like to get people out camping and, and see that, that spirit of 120 people kind of coming together and around the campfire at night and sharing stories of, of what they learned that day and meeting people just like them. And, and we've got guys from Singapore, Hong Kong, US, Canada, Lithuania, Spain, you know, a lot of British people in the campsite. And so you meet people from all over just like you. And it brings it to life that little bit more, for sure. Yeah, it builds that community, right? That shared adventure. And I bet people make relationships that they keep forever. 
right? Yeah. That's, I think that's one of the satisfying things for us as a team is all through the year seeing people sort of do their own mini Nepal reunions and going for runs with people and taking on new adventures. There's a couple of girls who are now running the length of uh, Fuerteventura together and they met through the Nepal Marathon. And they're, I think, day two of running the 100 miles of length in Fuerteventura Island. So that's pretty fun to see. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, is it 100% charity or is this a business venture for you as well? My background is in impact investing and social business, and I spent uh, five years in finance in London working on that. Um, So for me, the idea was how do you create a sustainability to any program that you're doing that's trying to change communities and be instigated to change. So we set it up with the two sides, really. So we've got the limited company and we've got a foundation attached. And the idea being that any fundraising people do goes directly in the foundation the business covers the cost of the foundation and then it goes directly to the projects that we are working with in Nepal, which is uh, or, or any of the countries, these grassroots um, ones that we've done a lot of research on. And the other side of it is the limited company, and that's where people pay for the week-long experience. So we separate the two. So there's no going between. We have the, the money that people pay to come and enjoy the week with us and the, the, all the food, accommodation, itinerary, everything. And then the other side is the fundraising they do where that money then goes directly to the organizations they'll be visiting. Oh, that's smart. That's a good way to do it. Then you don't get uh, competing goals, right? Completely, completely. Yeah, so you're a business. And we can track better where the fundraising goes and the outcomes of the fundraising. I think that's what's really exciting. So um, what are the types of projects that you're funding with your fundraising? I know it just started a, a year or so ago, but what dial are you moving there? Yeah, so we work linked in with the Sustainable Development Goals that the United Nations released last year. So each race that we have works around three of those goals. So in Nepal, we had number four, which is quality education, five, gender painting, six, water and sanitation. So when you sign up, you select a global goal. And then underneath that, we work with two, maybe three projects locally, which will be great examples of people who are fighting for that goal on the front line. So in gender equality, one of the major issues facing uh, Nepal is the fact that there's a, a 1,200 mile border with India that is pretty much unguarded. So the trafficking issue is huge. And so we're working with an organization called Mighty Nepal there who uh, provides safe houses and also do rescue missions into India, bringing girls back and rehabilitating them and uh, reintegrating them into the community. And then the other side of it was uh, working with this really small organization called Burns Violent Survivors, which looks around domestic abuse issues within Nepal. And so you'll then go and visit those projects. So it really depends on the community, the community needs, and just spending a year maybe talking to the community about what they're looking to do. And then we bring together a big community project, which this year was working on a five kilometer pipeline for the community that we're running in. And so we had 120 people with pickaxes and shovels uh, creating that, that water pipeline, bringing fresh water to the village all year long, uh, which was a really fun, if slightly ambitious project. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good use of uh, unskilled labor. <clears throat> yeah. A lot of those runners don't have a lot of upper body strength, though, Nick. You know, you got to you don't want to pick. <laughs> no. Well, we had uh, a fun health and safety briefing before that bit. I can assure you there is uh, a few things to cover. Yeah. So you have a, an interesting backstory as well, where you had you're in business as a, basically a banker, right? Yeah, you, essentially. You, and you had an epiphany around this project or this thing that you wanted to do and you sort of changed directions and built it from scratch. Tell me that moment where, you know, you're sitting there and you say, I could have all this great stuff and the the British dream and the the country house and, and everything, or I could go do this other thing that's good for the world, right? 
And you're pretty well, it, you're it, a pretty young guy too. I mean, now I'm 29, yeah. I think for me there was a few moments really and and it all started with a speech I was doing about some project work that we had going um, that I was doing in the evenings and weekends in Uganda. And I wanted people to see that when they donated money, there was an outcome and that they should come and see that outcome to really understand the power they have as an individual to make a difference. And I just made a joke and I said, so when you come out, we're going to run a marathon. And that joke went too far. And six weeks later, we were at the Ugandan embassy launching the first ever Uganda marathon we had 68 people come out it raised about 80,000 pounds and it was from there that you realized that there was something really special here and that's when I started working on the impact idea for about six months I was working on that without leaving my job and spending that time to how can we actually make this happen so for me it became a really obvious decision it wasn't like a, a moment of like this is when we have to do it it was lots of hard work that made it go okay i have to take advantage of this opportunity and my bosses were amazing they gave me office space and gave me every opportunity to make it work that's that's kind of amazing so were you a you were already a uh, a distance runner at that point yeah at the time um i was i was training and i was doing an ironman ironman wales and i'd done two races at that time as well two marathons one in athens and, and one in north korea which is a fun one and i was loving running i was loving seeing how it had changed sort of my own image of myself and my confidence and i'd seen it really impact other people's lives and that's when i thought that the running has a special quality and it unites people in a way that i think is really beautiful um and so that's where the idea to, to run the race in uganda came from was just seeing how when people run together they really unite and it brings them together as a community yeah and for the individual it has this unique ability to transform people and to to take them from from doing something to doing something they they didn't know they could do right it pulls back a veil for people when they do completely that. completely and i think it, people always say oh, i run a bit but i wouldn't call myself a runner and it's just not true if, you, if you're running a little bit and you're getting that spirit that it, you don't need to get addicted and run ultras and all of these types of things you just need to every so often put on your shoes and have a bit of fun and run a little bit and even if it's only two or three kilometers that you can manage that's that's fine and go and enjoy that and when you enjoy it with somebody else as well and you get into that little rhythm where you're both silent and pushing but your feet are in complete unison it's just a really magical moment of connection with that person yeah absolutely it's a great combination of the physical and the mental in people right mm -hmm. the best in both so but still you know with you this is a big idea right where did you get the courage to think big like this it's sort of a hard question to i think it's the people around you every time you have a thought you put it out there and you see what the reaction is. And I think that's what excites me is when you have an idea and you have this dream in your head and this vision and you, you put it out there to two or three people and they encourage it and they introduce you to someone else and they introduce you to someone and suddenly it just gains a momentum of its own. So it's hard to say where it came from in that respect. It was just a case of, okay, I think this can work. I'll talk to this person. And the guy who sort of helped a lot was a chap called Matt Fenton. And he'd worked in social travel a lot and helped me create the business plan around how to make it sustainable. And it, just bit by bit, you get there. And I guess the best thing is when you just say, okay, screw it, I'm going to go. And I put the flight in the park. And, you know, 10 days after leaving my job, I was landing in Kathmandu for the first time. And, and just... Again, once you land in countries, about putting it out there. Who do I need? Who can help this vision come alive? And just when they respond well, 
the vision grows and becomes far bigger than your own idea or your own dream. It's, it's everybody's. Yeah, but you know that most of the people you run into are going to tell you all the reasons that it won't work, right? And there's <laughs> any time you start any enterprise, it's just going to be so much work and so many doors slam in your face. It takes a, a certain type of person to push through all that and be successful. So that's not really a question, just more of a statement. So there's something about you that allows you to think <laughs> and to hold on to that vision and push through that challenge. Yeah. That's great. I think. Um, well, I hope so. Hopefully it keeps going. Yeah. So what type of people show up for these events? What's your typical demographic? You know what? It's not really good runners. That's for sure. Like we don't have tons of elite athletes coming our way or anything like that. We have people who want to do something different. People who want to challenge. So we tend to find there's the quarter life and the midlife crisis as our two main demographics. <laughs> the guys who are younger and have been in an office for five years now and are going, oh, I want to do something different. I want to have more of a social impact in my life. I want to travel a bit more. I want to uh, meet cool people. And then we have the guys a bit later on who are uh, perhaps you get to that point in their career where they want to spend more time giving back and want to spend more time enjoying the fruits of their labor. And uh, those are the two kind of people. And, and we get people running their first ever marathon. Um, I think the, the last finishes were eight hours 37 in Nepal this year, you know, and these guys, this was their first race and it was a really a huge moment for them. And we get the guys who just, it's kind of people who like to say yes. I guess that's the funny kind of way. It's the people who go, screw it. That sounds just like, something awesome um and yeah it ranges in abilities in terms of runs we i think our winner in nepal was four hours so it's not like elite elite speed here we're talking about guys who just go for it but then nepal was also a hard race so i think you add about an hour and a half onto your best to get an idea of that time in nepal yeah so you ever have people show up and you look at me oh my god we're in trouble this guy's gonna die out here no because the spirit of the event is you've had sort of five days to meet with other people who are about their standards. Often we see people having maybe a beer even the night before. I've already achieved everything I wanted. Tomorrow's just a celebration of that. And right. that idea that we're running together as a community is really important. And most of the local runners as well. In Nepal, we had loads of the runners from that village running their first ever race. And sometimes they were pretty, you know, they are 16 years old, sprinting out of the blocks. You're like, oh dear man, they're going to have a painful time in, in about three kilometers. But that's the spirit of the event is go out there. If you walk for a little bit, for a little bit, look to your right as the Himalayas, just enjoy that experience. So for that reason, no. And we've got amazing medics that come over, the UK doctors that come over and, and make sure that everything is really, really well handled. So no, we, we, we're very confident that most people will finish the race, even if they walk for quite a long time. So these races, you're going to have four total is that your vision here or more um no we're looking to get up to more we've, we've got four that are, are kind of there at the moment and we'd like to get up to six to eight because for us that's when it's it kind of hits that sustainability element four races it's it's for us it's it's just where we're starting but also not overly ambitious in terms of we don't want 250 people turning up to a race we want that 120 because then i can know the name of everybody on the campsite and you can know everybody and learn names and meet people properly once to 200 250 it turns into a bit more of a a tour package and that's not what we're about it's about being able to write a personal hand note to people every time they arrive in their hotel room and, and things like that just to make it into something that's an experience that's really special um, and not just churned over numbers so i think sort of eight races about 120 people per race is definitely the goal and so we're working on a couple quietly as well that, that we'll, we'll, we'll launch in the next 18 months 
once, we, once we've got some solidity to the, the current. So right now you've got Nepal, you've got Malawi, which is Africa, yes. right? Yes, yeah, east, uh, just below Tanzania. Yeah, and you've got uh, one in Colombia that you're spinning up in South America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Guatemala is the fourth, which we're actually launching in the next week or so. All right. That's going to be interesting. There's some good jungle down there, so that'll be good. Yes, absolutely. It's going to be a stunning race. We're actually going to be looking at working on the banks of a couple of the volcanoes, so it should be a pretty unique race in that respect. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. That's <laughs> great fun. But you're going to be jetting back and forth. Do you go to all these events yourself? At the moment, yes. I mean, it's not how I want to live my life forever and ever because it's pretty stressful but i only have what my two bags i've sold everything else and i live entirely as a nomad so at the moment i'm here in in greece because we've got a bit of downtime in terms of races and then i'm heading off to work on a couple of things we're doing in kenya for a couple of months and then nepal for three months so at the moment it's an entirely nomadic existence between all the races which is a lot of fun so you spun this thing up and sold all your stuff and now this is what you do (laughs) right you just travel around and do these events yes and have fun well it sounds like that's it yeah it sounds like an excellent uh sort of life choice in some ways right where do you see yourself in in 15 20 years you're a young guy you're going to be doing this when you're yeah 50 it's a great question and the answer is that i don't entirely know I, i know i i don't want to live totally nomadically the rest of my life but i also know that right now this is just the opportunity to combine all the things that that are special right travel and the work with the charities and the running that i love so i guess it's just we've got a plan for the business to grow it and then i want to train up more people to be able to do the races so i don't have to be at every single race all the time but really it's just to see what serendipity has in its way for us um you know my my girlfriend is now she's she's done the same she teaches spanish online and so she's now entirely nomadic with me and we we have a very fun sort of experience as as life but there's also a huge amount of stress with it we don't always know what we're going to be sleeping the next night and we're always looking for sort of clever ways to cost low and, and go via a certain place and have to spend two nights there to keep the cost of flights low so and then there's the making homes as you said at the beginning of the conversation we don't want to stay in a hotel room a hotel room a hotel room because that's quite stressful and so we, we spend time looking for places that uh, we can make a home and um, get into a rhythm and a routine and those things that are hard you know it's a challenge and we miss our families we miss our, our families back at home and, and all of those things so bit yeah. by bit we're just seeing how it goes and yep, yeah, seeing yeah. where the journey takes us yeah you're building an adventure though so you guys are doing something that you'll remember forever and you're making an impact on the world you're thinking big i like that you're thinking big so so let me move you to the here. what's the call to action here for people nick i think get along to a race i think that's the best way to experience what impact marathon is about uh, check out uh, our facebook group see the videos from nepal see what we're about and if you're up for it then take the plunge i think for people the idea of traveling a long distance for a marathon is exciting but also quite nerve-wracking particularly if you're organizing your own travel and getting there and the way that we do it where you'll be greeted at the airport with a big hug and then thrown into a group of 80 people who are all there on their own scared and a little bit nervous means that it's the perfect way just to jump in because we've got everything planned out and ready for you so we've got the uh, nepal race coming up in november we've got guatemala about to launch and is already up and running for next may may 2018 so we'd love to see you and give you a big hug at the airport and the best place people go is the 
search for uh, impact marathons it's, yeah impact marathon into google or it's impactmarathon.com is is our website so you head over there and but oh yeah just type in impact marathons on the pole marathon into into google you'll find us all right well thanks for talking to me it sounds like an exciting uh, adventure you're on my friend thanks christopher it's been it's really fun to chat all right we'll talk to you soon let me know if there's anything i can do to help <laughs> yeah all thank right. you chris that's really really fun all right cheers all right. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Anxiety. I was thinking about anxiety this week. It popped up on my radar a lot. I saw an article on how to combat anxiety and heard a podcast about anxiety. And all these things seemed to swirl together in the melange of my meninges. And it felt like I should listen to the universe and write something down. Caveat emptor, that means buyer beware. I'm not a licensed or even unlicensed doctor of any kind, and these are just my thoughts. If you need help, find a professional. What is this anxiety anyhow? It's a type of fear. It's a fear that something bad is going to happen or that something bad is unresolved. Waiting for that phone call or waiting to hear the results of a test. These are examples of that type of anxiety. And like all the maladies of the mind, there's a spectrum that runs from harmless nervousness to debilitating anxiety syndrome. And it's not a straight-line thing. There are times in your life where anxiety levels will be high, and times when they will be low. And in this sense, it can be a healthy, self-protective mechanism. But when it goes over the edge, it can be debilitating. So what do the experts say about dealing with anxiety? The first useful thing I heard was to not ignore it. Unless it is quite mild, you shouldn't try to bury it. We have this habit in today's pop psychology world to just pretend everything is okay. And if that doesn't work, we, we just pretend harder. <laughs> That's not the way to ameliorate anxiety. It's much better for you as a human to confront and understand the anxiety. Bring it out in the open. They suggest taking a hard look at that anxiety. Rationally look at what it is that is making you anxious. Is it something that is out of your control? Is there anything you can do? Accept the anxiety for what it is. Take whatever steps you can. Bring it into the room and look at it. This process can really be helped by talking it through with someone who is level-headed and mature. The second thing they say to do is to try to practice gratitude. Yes, you have this thing hanging over you, but you also have many good things in your life that you can celebrate. Maybe if you stack up all those good things that you are grateful for, it will overshadow the tug of the anxiety. What are you grateful for? The third thing you can do is act. Take action. I find that anxiety is most likely to creep in when you are waiting for something. Think about it. Waiting to pick up the phone and make that hard call. Waiting to walk on stage to present. These are very anxious moments. But once you're in the flow of the action, that anxiety goes away. That anxiety can be converted into energy by action. And a great question to ask is, what action can I take 
to get myself out of this anxious situation? What conversation can I have? What can I do today that will remove anxiety in the future? The fourth thing and the suggestion I really liked was to get and give hugs. (laughs) Hugs are clinically proven to release happy chemicals and to relieve stress. The article I was reading said five hugs a day is the prescribed amount. A couple of important points on hugs. Any mammal will do. You can get the same happy chemicals from hugging your dog as you can from another human. And you should hold it for a count of 20. You hold that hug to get that physiological response. And even if this hugging thing is pure hokum, I don't see how it could possibly mess anything up. Why not? (laughs) And finally, my friends, I know that one of my God-sent cures for anxiety, anger, frustration, and almost every mental impediment to getting on with things is running. Sure, it could be any endurance sport. You have to love it. You have to go and do it eh, for a good hour. Don't bring the headphones. Just let the thoughts scrabble around inside your skull like demented weasels. And I guarantee that at the end of that trail, there will be order in the chaos. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my long-suffering friends, that is it. You have dug water pipe ditches and built outbuildings for the marginalized third world poor through to the end of episode 4-366 of the Run Run Live podcast, and then you ran a slow marathon to celebrate. Yes, I did run a 50K a couple weeks ago. Like I said, I have my notes. I just have to write it up. Other than being slow, it took me seven hours. It was a pleasant experience all around. I know you're all going to divorce me if I don't start doing something interesting and unpleasant. We are rolling into June this week, and we've had the oddest spring weather up here in New England. It's been in the 40s and 50 and overcast and rainy like Seattle or London, for most of May. And I'm not complaining, it's great running weather. I can't remember a spring where I was able to get so much use out of my old Boston Marathon running jacket, not to run in, just to wear out, to keep warm, keep the rain off. Usually we go from 45 to 90 and it stays there. We don't have these extended periods of cooler weather. It's been great for the flowers and the apple trees. My apple trees flowered And since it wasn't hot, they kept the flowers for more than a week. And now there's hundreds of little apples on them. And I didn't get my garden in until just this past weekend. It's been so cold. I'm starting a new project for June that I'm calling 5 at 5. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. for 30 days and run 5 miles. And the getting up part isn't that hard for me. It will take a while for my body to get the program of rolling out of bed and hitting the trails. My body would rather have a cup of coffee and maybe a bowl of oatmeal and a bathroom break. And I take Buddy with me for the first two miles. And I will try to take a photo every day in the same place, sort of get that time-lapse montage. With any luck, we'll get to see summer break like a wave over these few weeks as I do this, and this will help me stay in shape during June when I don't really have a target race of any type and will take less time out of my week than my normal training routine so I can get more stuff done. Let me tell you a story 
from the past couple weeks. So this is called the mailbox story. And this winter, the snow plows took out my mailbox. I wasn't able to fix or replace it with the ground frozen, so I propped it up with some baling wire and a metal stake, and now that it's warmer, I needed to fix it, because frankly it looked pretty shoddy. But before I could fix the mailbox, I needed to fix my wheelbarrow. So really, this is my mailbox wheelbarrow story. And I had a great big metal wheelbarrow that I had acquired many years ago that I very much loved. And a few years back, one of its staves broke off. That's the proper term for a wheelbarrow handle, stave. And me, being the impatient man that I am, I just bought a new wheelbarrow. But I soon discovered that the quality of wheelbarrows has plummeted in the intervening time, and this new wheelbarrow was crap, very low quality. So after I worked that new wheelbarrow into the ground, I decided to fix the old one this year. I measured everything up and was able to procure the correct length staves on Amazon. And I had to spend a few hours getting the old rusted bolts out of the old wheelbarrow and buying the proper inventory of new nuts and bolts. The new staves were the right length and of reasonably good quality, but the holes were in the wrong places. And for the life of me, I could not find my electric drill. And I did end up having to buy a new electric drill on Amazon. I have since threatened my wife and children with painful and horrible death if they touch my new drill. So we should change this story maybe to the mailbox wheelbarrow drill story. I was able to find the full set of wood bits that I needed to drill the holes in the staves so that I could reassemble the wheelbarrow with the new hardware. And I gotta tell you, it is a thing of beauty. So then I went down to see if I couldn't dig up the roots of the old mailbox so I could drop in a new one. And it turns out that whoever put that mailbox in they wanted it to stay there. It was clasped on all sides by granite shards that I had to dig around and manually remove with my hands. You see, I had to dig about surgically as to not destroy the well-established lilies, clematis, and irises flourishing there. And I got all the pieces of the old mailbox out, measured it up, checked the official postal regulations online, and headed off to the giant home improvement store. And these mailbox posts, they come as one pre-assembled thing that you just stick in the ground. So I thought I was close to the finish line. However, when I made my pilgrimage up and down the aisles to where the post box posts were, I was disappointed, nay thwarted. They had two posts, but both were of such poor quality as to be embarrassing. So instead, I hiked the extra kilometer down to the lumber section and procured a couple eight-foot pressure-treated 4x4s. So I guess this is the mailbox wheelbarrow drill post story. Anyhow, I was able to find my table saw, and I crafted a beautiful post box post and set it nicely back into the ground with the granite chunks at the official height from the curb. 
I then gave the box itself a new coat of matte black paint. And I have to tell you, it's a thing of beauty. There is nothing as life-affirming to your suburban male than to be able to craft something with your own hands and have it actually end well. So those of you who have significant others who roll their eyes when you ask them to do some simple task, remember, in suburbia, there is no such thing as a simple task. But there is a job well done. I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. All right. Lot of poor men make a $5 bill. Keep him happy all the time. Some of them fellas, they got nothing at all. And you can hear them cry. Yeah, Cumberland Blues, baby. Cumberland Blues. Okay, go lay down somewhere, dog. Get your head out of my trash can. Go lay down. It's okay. Everything's cool. Relax. Don't give me that look. Don't give me that look. Oh, you just want a hug. Yeah. It's okay. Hugs are in the prescription pad today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're a good boy. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're making it hard for me to record, though, sweetie. Yeah. All right. Go lay down. That's enough hugging for today. Thank you, sir. All right. So, 